0: What do you know about that, man? That
1: was pretty fun. (laughs) Ignore all these cameras. I'm pretty much trying something new right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm basically, we got viewer feedback on the podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. At the end of the year, we got some really good feedback. And a suggestion was this, but it's not ready yet. But I need to test a few Mm -hmm. things. So Mm -hmm. these are simply for me on the backside today. Okay. Well, what do you guys say we just jump into the uh, podcast, though? I'm, I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McQuillan, co-host. I hope everybody's
0: going to survive this uh, polar vortex coming up. <laughs> how bad? How bad is it going to be? Well, I hear the the lows are going to be zero or sub-zero. Wind okay. chills are going to be double digits
1: below zero. Well, this makes me think of something that we need to talk about with our guest here, hmm. Rufus Cravens, Sergeant Rufus Cravens. You're a yeah. avid coyote hunter, a conservation officer. How long have you been with the department here? Uh, a little over 17 years. 17 years? And yes. now you're 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 up here at headquarters. You're you're doing administrative work. But when you were on sure. patrol, which area of the state were you? I worked central Kentucky. was assigned to Clark County and uh, supervised kind of those uh, Clark
2: and surrounding counties there. Is that
1: the part of the state you're from originally? Or? It is, yeah. I was born and raised in, in Clark County. So in Winchester right around later. Winchester, Richmond area? Yes. It's not a bad spot. I mm-hmm. will tell you just right off the bat, there's several things. But for one, I don't know if you get this very often, but I think that you've got the coolest name in the department. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's unique, right? Sure. But it's it's not difficult, mm-hmm. which is which is good. And it it's like strong and it's bold to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be boring. It could be Chase or mm-hmm. Lee mm-hmm. or Nathan or Kevin or Brian or Chad. But but I think you and the Commissioner are Rich Storm, because mm-hmm. they're just unique, strong mm-hmm. names that mm-hmm. are easy to say. So if I could well, swap your names, I probably would. Well, I, thought... I appreciate that. I'm actually
2: a junior. I was named after my dad. So really? That's, that's where the... A that cool fa-
1: well, that's the thing, too. Like with me, Chase is a family name. So it might just be kind of a... a bo- but it, there's meaning to it. And I assume that's the same with a lot of people, you know? But I I've think always... Lee goes back
0: to my great-grandfather. Your grandfather yeah. yeah. I've just so, always thought... Rich my dad was Robert Lee. My brother is Robbie, and I'm Lee. <laughs> so <And> that, yeah. <laughs> My grandfather was Lester... I think Lester Lloyd or Lester Lee, so...
1: I don't know. Tyler and Chase are both my... They're family names. I can't tell you the stories, though. I'd have to ask my grandma. But, um, Rufus, there were several reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast. I think that this is, for one, the most confusing reg that we have out there, at least the one I see the most people get confused about, is the nighttime coyote hunting reg. And you... Or an avid nighttime coyote hunter, like just as soon as you walked in the door today, before we even started the podcast, you were showing me, you know, a video off your thermal scope. From, right. I'm assuming one of your recent coyote yes, hunts. Yes, yes. It was actually uh, this past Sunday. So you mm-hmm. go a lot. Yeah. And I know when I see you in our meetings on Thursdays, a lot of times me and you cut back and forth about coyote hunting or, sure. or what's going on. And so who better to clarify the nighttime coyote regs than a conservation officer who nighttime mm-hmm. coyote hunts? You mm-hmm. know. So we put some fillers out there on social media, and we got some questions, and these questions, really, that people wanted to know the answers to kind of line right up with what we're going to talk today. The first one was just coyote hunting in general, an overview. So can you just give us a a real quick rundown on coyote hunting in the state? I mean, there's daytime, there's nighttime, and what the options are for somebody, how they could go about coyote hunting, when they could do it. Sure. (laughs) So uh,
2: coyotes are considered fur bears under our regulations. Um, They are open year-round. Uh, so, you know, you can hunt them year-round, day or night. Um, I, I'll cover a little bit more in that night because there are some stipulations yeah, to that. That's the computer. Um, part. Right. Um, you would do have to have, if you're not uh, licensed exempt as far as a landowner or, mm-hmm. you know, juvenile under, under age of 12 or whatever, then you do have to have a uh, valid Kentucky hunting license, but no other permits or anything like that are required for mm-hmm. that. So, um, as far as the night season mm-hmm. goes, from January, or excuse me, December the 1st through March 31st, mm-hmm. um, you can hunt coyotes at night with the with the aid of light or other means designed to make them visible at night, such as thermal infrared. night vision, yeah. infrared, yeah, correct. Um, you can use that. Um, you can also use on private land, you can use a rifle of any caliber, um,
1: of shotgun any caliber now yes so that's correct. recently changed
2: that is correct last year up until about no oh, i want to say sometime in february it was 6.5 or less mm-hmm. but somewhere around february of uh 2023 the regulation was updated and that caliber restriction was taken off okay there is still a caliber on muzzleloader i believe it's 54 caliber or less on a
1: muzzleloader yeah um don't do that. i mean okay if yeah. you really want a nighttime coyote hunt with a muzzleloader go for it but you're yeah, going to educate. I, I would just go with a rifle or something. Yeah, that, I know? agree with you.
2: Yeah. Um, and then you can use, uh, with shotgun, you can use um, single projectile ammunition during that period.
1: Oh, okay. Even on, is that
2: private land? That's owned? private land, I not think, correct. Uh, if you're hunting public land, you can still use lights and, and means designed to make them visible at night, but you cannot use any uh, rifle or muzzle muzzleloader. Um, you can use bow or crossbow or shotgun. Uh, but no single projectile ammunition. So if I was mm-hmm.
1: going to do that, I'd, I'd look at the buckshot options. And they also sure. make one that's called a T shot um, that I've seen people use for coyote hunting. I never have used it. I've, I've shot a double odd and triple odd buck before at night with shotgun but that's what i would suggest if you're like i wouldn't take your seven shot or your dove loads or even six shot or a rabbit you know something you'd use for rabbit or squirrel i would look at those buckshot or potentially a t-shot option yeah if i was have you ever done that nighttime coyote hunting with a shotgun i have not i haven't daytime coyote hunted with a, you like it a shotgun I, I do i mean
2: i daytime hunt with a rifle but yeah. i've never tried it with a shotgun but i i'm going to at some point i mean it looks pretty fun i watch some of those uh yeah. you know i'm probably like everybody else i like to watch the videos, v- videos and, stuff. and stuff of it and uh you know it's pretty interesting seeing them calm in close like that
1: so, so so kind of in a nutshell just on when you can coyote hunt what you can coyote hunt with daytime you're out so if it's between that half an hour before sunrise to half an hour after sunset, that civil twilight period, then you can daytime hunt them any day of the year. And Correct. you can use a rifle, a shotgun, a muzzle loader, a pistol, um, I mean, pretty much in the daytime, it's it's a, a nuisance species, quote unquote. And sure. you just need a hunting license and hunter ed. Or, or if you're yeah. over the age, you know, if you're hunter ed exempt, then you don't need to. So that's all you need for daytime. That's yes. pretty easy. The nighttime season, a reason I feel like it's so confusing is because it's changed so much. You know, like we just rolled out the first nighttime season a handful of years ago. I can't mm-hmm. remember, but it came out originally as shotgun only, is how we first did it. And I think that that was kind of a slow roll, like you don't want to push everything out there all crazy at once. That's probably why we all right, let's let's uh let's ease into it with the shotgun season. And then okay, let's do some rifles, but okay, a caliber restriction, and now we're just getting a little bit more liberal and liberal as we're becoming more and more comfortable with it, right? That's kind of how like my <clears> take <throat> on it. That's how I see it working out. Yeah. But at night there's that limited season, January first to March thirty first. Excuse me, December first. December no, December first. 1st. 1st. I, I said the same thing a minute ago, but yeah. I don't know why. It's, maybe it's because it's January right now. I don't think yet. so. No, it, it
0: just, you brought, your mind defaults to January. <laughs> Don't you think? Just yeah. when you think so. about just
1: So, starting December 1st, mm-hmm. you can get out there at night and you can, like you mm-hmm. said, use lights, infrared, thermals. You have a nice thermal scope um, mm-hmm. that you just showed us. Is it a Pulsar? It is pulsar. a Pulsar. And I've toyed around with some of the ATN stuff before. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that you can infrared. I mean, the options are endless. But really, all you need to nighttime is out is a, is a light i mean i've gone out there right. with just a light before what well, we should get into the the tactics the nighttime tactics here in a bit because i never have hunted with a thermal i'm sure that's much different you've got a, a scanner you've got a thermal scope you've got a great nighttime setup right? I've done yes. it on the cheap a lot before, too. So I'd like, kind of like to know how those tactics, you know, change when you're out there with just a, a flashlight duct tape to your 12 gauge, you know, versus when you've got all the bells and whistles. Because I've done it, you know, I've zip-tied that flashlight sure. to the end of that barrel before, and it's interesting. But sure. so those are kind of the overviews on when you can hunt them. I would check the hunting guide, too, right?
2: Right. And and I do want to go back, to on that... Um, there is an additional <clears throat> night season where you can use the rifles and the lights from uh, May 16th through June 30th. So that there's was just a that break. was. There's a break, correct? From I guess basically April 1st, pretty much through all that turkey season, April 1st mm-hmm. through May 15th. It is it is closed to uh, as far as using uh, lights and, and thermal and infrared and being able to use a rifle and all that. Um, so it's a split season. It correct. It comes back in May 16th, runs through June 30th, and and those regulations are the same. Uh, they mirror what the December 1st through uh, March 31st are okay. as far as you know private land and and public land well, the weapon restrictions and all that stuff. There is and,
1: one. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No. There is one caveat to the nighttime hunting that I think is kind of important. And tell me if this is still in reg or not. But I remember when I first started nighttime hunting, it was required that the hunter carry the permission on them. You have to have landowner. If it's not your property, like it said that you had to have written permission on you if you were nighttime. And I guess that's because conservation officers don't want to call and wake somebody up at two o'clock, three o'clock, landowner to ask. So, have, mm-hmm. is that still required? No, not that. Okay.
2: Not that I'm aware of. I believe that that had changed there. So, yeah.
1: um, you know, that's one of those things that, yeah, you because know, at nighttime yeah. it'd be a, you know, it, it just. There aren't as many people out and about, and things are probably right. get hairy. And you need to be safe when you're nighttime coyote hunting too, and and hunt where you know where people are. That's why the whole private land aspect with rifles versus public land. Sure, anybody could be on public land. You really don't know what's out right. there. And at night, when you're nighttime coyote hunting, you're casting vocals. You know, you're trying to sound like a coyote. So if you have other coyote hunters out and about, you mm-hmm. know, it's just it's much safer the way it's set up with rifles on private and. Shotguns and archery. Oh but, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would be nervous nighttime coyote hunting public land. Mm. Oh yeah. If if rifles were out there. You
0: yeah, know, I agree. General. Rufus, does it present an enforcement problem sometimes? Because I remember when I was growing up, spotlighting was bad. You know, if you saw people shining lights from the side of the road or whatever, it was immediate suspicion. Mm-hmm. Does it does it create any enforcement problems? I, I don't know that
2: it creates any problems. I mean. um, you know obviously like with the spotlighting mm-hmm. if you use a light mm-hmm. um it can't be cast uh it can't be cast from or connected to any kind of mechanized vehicle okay. so you know if you still see you can't drive down the road or ride through the field on your side beside and mm-hmm. shine the spotlight out or whatever you're supposed to be out of the vehicle um or out of the side side off the four wheel or whatever um and set up and and shining like that so um you know, you have that, it, it does make it, you know, a little bit harder. Sometimes we, uh, you know, the law enforcement divisions, kind of like most everybody else, there's budget constraints. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it'd be nice if every officer had a, had a thermal Mm -hmm. scanner of some kind to be able to help locate those, those hunters, nighttime hunters and stuff a little bit more easier. And we have a few out there, but, you know, We'd obviously uh, could benefit from more. some more, and I think that's that's in the talks and the works. But you know, as you know, there's mm-hmm. only so much to go around, and other mm-hmm. things sometimes take priority. Things that you need versus things that uh, or mm-hmm. things you have to have versus things, things you kind of need and want sometimes. Yeah. So uh, uh,
1: I had this thought yesterday, like because. Our cameras, our video cameras, are infrared, right? Mm-hmm. So when we go film a nighttime coyote hunt, if we're using an infrared scope, it's casting an infrared beam, right? And the naked eye can't see that. So if you're just sitting there looking, you see absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. But to our cameras, there is a spotlight shining through that field. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I, I, I had this weird thought the other day of, uh, you know, if you had an infrared, a drone with an infrared camera on it, mm-hmm. you could take that. Thing up, and you could see beams shining across field. You know, I would almost mm-hmm. be curious what what an infrared drone would pick up on at, at night. You know, because it'd be people's ring doorbells lighting up whole areas, and it would be. You know, there's a lot of infrared lights out sure. there that we just don't even think about. But I could see it being kind of difficult to enforce. But at the same time, you know, we just have to do our best job, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what it falls into. The next, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: No, I was just going to say, I've seen, I've not seen, I know they have those infrared uh, drones. drones. I've seen the thermal drones that people use to locate Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times hogs and stuff when they're Mm -hmm. hunting, you know, uh,
1: down in Texas. Don't use them, I think, as much for coyotes, but they do use them for hogs quite a bit. uh, The next question, or we had several good questions come in, but one of them just wanted to know general coyote hunting tactics. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to roll into this because we were talking about um, the thermal, the infrared and you brought up the point of people shining lights through the field, right? Mm-hmm. Now, as far as general coyote hunting tactics go, um, there's, a lo- there's a lot there. I'm just gonna start with the nighttime one. You don't really wanna shine a light around the field a lot when you're nighttime coyote hunting. Like, I remember when I would shotgun hunt and I'd have that flashlight taped to my barrel right there by my grip so I could just press a button, and mm-hmm. I had a pressure switch, actually. Okay. Um, I would not turn that light on until I heard a coyote. And when I say I heard a coyote, I don't mean a, a coyote howl or something. I mean, I hear their footsteps because you'd be amazed how much easier it is at night, at midnight, out there in the middle of the woods. You can hear a coyote walking through the woods, like mm-hmm. from 40 yards away, 50 yards away. If you're just sitting there being quiet. And sometimes if your calls running, you're kind of having to listen. Okay, does anything sound weird you know because you're trying to compete the the coyote's footprints will compete with your the sound of your call but if you go out there and there's you know dry leaves or something like that you can hear them coming and and if they're in shotgun range you're going to be able to hear them so i literally would not press the button on that light until i was ready you know what i mean and rufus here with his thermal he doesn't have to worry about it at all but you know that's pretty cool those videos you showed me i think i saw one on the kentucky um the, the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife law enforcement page there was a photo from a pulsar that was posted on that page too was that one of yours correct it was yeah it was uh was looking for a photo
2: for that uh yeah, we, we made a post about on uh, December 1st for the opening of the night coyote mm-hmm. and so was trying to find something and uh, basically took a, took a took a still shot yeah. of mm-hmm. one of the videos there of, of uh the need to charge your battery and, yeah. Did you notice? Yeah, it was I getting... I, I think it was that. one was getting... Oh, it's got two batteries in it. Oh, really? So, yeah. yeah. So it has an internal and then an external that you can change in and out. Well, okay, so, We're going to have yeah. to get
1: into more of the equipment that you use for sure. nighttime. Because, I mean, some people might want to know how to do it on the cheap. Some people might want to know how to do it right, you know? Yeah. So I think that we can probably talk about both of those. But just general coyote hunting tactics. I'm just going to jump into a few of these things and just jump in whenever you want, Rufus. Okay. But um, the way I looked at it, and I kind of jotted down a few notes, there is... um weapons like what as far as gear that you would take there's how you conceal yourself there's where you set up Mm -hmm. there's factors like the wind there's um hunting where coyotes are i think is extremely important Mm -hmm. i mean that's probably the most Mm -hmm. important part and then uh don't overlook small spots so those are the notes i jotted down so just as far as weapons gear um you shoot you told me a 6.5 grendel right yeah in an ar platform oh an ar platform that's interesting yeah Mm because i always wanted uh, ar platform is an excellent platform for coyote hunting. because a lot of times you do get second shot opportunities follow-up shot opportunities uh Mm -hmm. you know multiple coyotes will come in so an ar platform has big advantages some of the disadvantages to the ar platform are a lot of your Varmint or Predator calibers are really like a 223 is great, that's your standard AR, it's a great mm-hmm. round. But if you wanted the 250 or a 243 or mm-hmm. a 6.5 Grendel, those are a little bit harder to find in that platform. Um, right. but as far as I think those are probably the best coyote calipers that I just named 223, 243, a There's some yeah. oddballs like the 6.5 Grendel, the 6.5 Creedmoor is fine, 17 Remington. I mean,
0: my brother shot,
1: but he was 17 Hornady. Oh, yeah, during the day.
0: He's taking some yeah. big ones.
1: I think that once you get up past those, like what's your bullet weight? I shoot a 95 grain Max. I reload my bullets. Okay. So, so similar to a 243, um, yeah. yeah, as far as the weight goes. So I think once you get up over probably that 110 grain threshold, that you're probably a little bigger than optimal for Coyotes. Because really what you want is, if you're shooting a rifle, a, a rapidly expanding mm-hmm. round. Right. You, you want to put that energy in and dis- distribute it quickly because it's a very thin animal. Mm-hmm. So if you're shooting something heavier than 110 grains, like you're shooting 130 grain 270 or 150 grain 308, overkill. Uh it's not overkill. It's actually underkill, yep. which makes no sense. It's overkill as far as a round goes, mm-hmm. but it's not as effective on the coyote because the bullet passes through without too quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you'll see a lot more. Coyotes, when, when you're hunting them, if you, if you hit a coyote anywhere in the rib cage, right, anywhere in the body, it probably isn't going anywhere with a 243, you know, a varmint caliber. You could do the same thing with a 270 or a 308 and have to track that coyote, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Like, uh, I'm, I know a guy in Shelby County who has a a Barrett M82A1 50 BMG. All right, <laughs> it's a 37 pound rifle, and he had it target shooting, and he said, you know what, I want a coyote on with this. And he Shot a coyote at 75 yards with it, and that was he was tracking that coyote, you know. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and but if, mm. if he would have shot that coyote in the same exact spot with this 250 I bet you it would have been,
2: yeah, right there. And and that 250 like that, that's my daytime gun. I shoot that in yeah. a bolt action platform, it's but, pretty uh, It's pretty slick, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, I love, love that caliber, the so. ballistics of a 22250, and it's just flat enough where if you have a 200 yard zero, you're about an inch and a half high at 100 mm. yards, and about two and a half. Two inches low at three hundred yards. Yeah. So it's pretty much a dead hold gun. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at
2: The three hundred
1: out the three hundred yards, yeah. which is ideal because if they're past three hundred yards, then you know they better be standing still, and coyotes very rarely are. Yeah. On your yeah. video, Standin how still. far
0: was that one?
2: Uh, that one was probably right at ninety to hundred yards that is one thing with the thermal. I know we were going to talk about this later, but it's it's difficult without a rangefinder in the thermal. Mm-hmm. It it's difficult to depth perception in those thermals. It's a lot harder to judge yardage and distance in that thermal than it is during like a regular. What's your furthest shot you've ever
1: made on? With a the thermal or in the daytime?
2: Anytime. Uh, I don't I don't like shooting at them. Real far myself. Yeah. Um, I was wondering. Probably what... nighttime 150 yards. Mm. Um, daytime probably 175, 180. Yeah. yeah. So um,
1: you'd be amazed. Rufus can speak to this, but you'd be amazed. I, people always get these big long range setups for their coyote hunting. They want these skeleton rifles and these precision rifles. I bet you 80% of coyotes are killed within 100 yards that's right, yeah. you know what i mean because that's your goal is to get them close i mean sure and if you're having a like turkey good, hunt you know i mean yeah. you don't want to shoot a 60-yard turkey if you can shoot a 35-yard turkey. Right. or oh, if know? you if you have a good setup then you should be able to get the coyotes close. You know, if you're taking long shots, that typically means something probably went wrong. You know, if you ask me, or your setup was just a little off or something, we need to talk about the setups too, because that was really the question. So as far as the, what gear you take, as far as firearms go, those rifles, it's something below 110 grain bullet weight, I think is ideal. That's my personal opinion, you know, and somebody probably argue with me on that, but 40 grains to 110 grains would be my sweet spot. And I like a fast shooting rifle. Mm-hmm. Like, um the twenty two fifty that Rufus and myself were both talking about thirty eight hundred feet a second. I mean it's smoking. Anything over thirty two hundred is a high speed rifle in my opinion. So yeah. but that's and then as far as shotguns go, like I kinda said, I like a buckshot. They make a special T shot that's advertised and sold as a coyote round. I've no it's too expensive. It's like shooting, you know, it's like a it doesn't they don't drip it, so it's not shot, it's literally in a T shape. So they mm. have to do something different when they make it that makes it more expensive. But the most important parts of coyote hunting really aren't the gear you take. <laughs> to me, it is where you set up, how you set up, and how you anticipate what the coyote's is going to do. Right. I, I would agree. So as far as concealment goes, do you at night? Do you worry too much about how you're concealed? Uh, I do. Depends a lot. Depends on the terrain and, and the moon.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm hunting big, uh, I have one farm that's a lot of open pasture land with just some grown up fence lines and little fingers of woods in it. Um, You know, if I'm hunting in a, On that one, regardless of if it's a full moon or not, I try to get into, you know, fence row or something like that. um, Just because you can, even though I'm a good ways out of town, you can still see um, the lights from from Mm -hmm. town and stuff shining. I mean, they're a few miles away, but it seems like it still illuminates that Mm -hmm. area. So I always try to, you know, get a good backdrop against a tree or grown-up fence line or bushes or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, You know, if it's a dark moon and I'm on a another farm that's got a lot of woods around it you know and i'm not maybe the field's only 100 yards wide or something like that um i have set up in the middle of the just in the middle of the field and i I stand when i night hunt uh stand and hunt off a tripod yeah um like a bog pot or yeah yeah Yeah, i've got a bog death grip and uh sit on that you know stand and and use that and i've i've done that like i said standing in the field Mm um and i've had success calling coyotes in that didn't seem you know yeah. didn't seem to bother them whatever
1: i'd um, say part of but, it probably depends on the coyote too you know have they yeah. been called before you know because yeah. if they have then they're going to be much more cautious when they, sure. when they come slipping into you um as far as daytime concealment goes same basically principle you definitely want your silhouette broken up you know if you can get your back against something or get a hill behind you or something i think that the movement and because of the, I think the movement's most important, and because of that, having your silhouette broken up is the mm-hmm. most important thing. But uh, just like you at night, I have, on a daytime set, plot myself down right in the middle of a cornfield with no cover around, because that's where I had the ability to see. It's sure. like if I set up with cover, then the coyotes would have the option to circle me without me seeing them first. Mm-hmm. But if I set up here without cover, at least I have the option, the ability to see the coyote before it can get downwind. So sometimes I think that the the wind and the nose is more important than the, the sight, you know? Mm-hmm. It definitely is to the coyote. So I will sacrifice a little bit of cover for the sake of having a good wind, if that makes sense at all, yeah. because you can, I mean, I've, coyotes have ran straight out in the field before, and I know that I am within their vision. Like their eyeballs can see me, but they're so focused on that call that. but I've never seen a coyote be able to smell me. And not care about that, nah. you know, or not pick up on it, because they will 100% of the time pick up on you. And that's why I think that the wind on my notes here is the most important thing, because if they smell you, they aren't. I mean, that's yeah, they're they're done. You're, and it's amazing. I'm sure that you have probably seen some pretty amazing, as far as just how well they can smell, right? because yeah. I mean, I've seen them <clears throat> cutting through a field at 300 yards away, and it's like they hit a brick wall as soon as I hit my wind, you know. And we've slowed the the footage down on the cameras before, and it's like. Two one-hundredths of a second. You know that coyote be trotting, and for one or two frames in the camera, you'll see its nose tip up in mm-hmm. the air, and then it'll just turn on and down, and it's gone. You know, it's like yeah. a split-second decision, and their their noses are are so good. You know, it's I don't think most people can even understand like how good a coyote's nose is. Have you ever had them at night come in and get you? And you've seen them get you or anything like yeah. that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had them. I've had them come in. Like maybe I walk, you know, walked out to set the call out from where I was sitting up at, and. Uh, You'd have them come in from not maybe necessarily the the direction you thought they would come Mm -hmm. from and and run through there and had one that was moving on pretty good. I mean, it was charging towards the call pretty good, Mm -hmm. and it crossed crossed where I had walked just Uh a few minutes earlier, and like you said, as soon as it hit that spot, I mean, it stopped on a dime and, and looked and started to turn and go. Burn out of there, and luckily we were able to get a shot on it and yeah. kill it in that split second that it stopped. It was close enough. But so, still amazing. But, but know, it was going, yeah, it was leaving. It had smelled, you know, my trail where I'd walk through there, and it's it was all it, it takes. Yeah.
1: It's crazy. I mean, but and at nighttime, I imagine it's probably also more difficult to set up correctly according to the wind. Because in the daytime, I can go out there and I can say, okay, there's not a coyote in this field. I know that. So if there's coyote here, it's in those woods. You know. But at mm-hmm. nighttime, when you go out there, there they could be anywhere. You know because they're naturally up and about and moving around and hunting on their own so they might not be in those woods where they would be during the day they could be behind you they could have already traveled up 800 yards since they left the den that day they could be on a big loop and you know so i, I think that their position is probably more unpredictable at night and that probably makes it does that make sense to you it you? does yeah
2: because like you said i mean they're you know they're out during the day as well but night times when they're they're you know more active and out hunting more and stuff so yeah. um, chances of seeing them at nighttime, are you know you may see them anywhere, right out in the middle of the open field. I'm yeah. not not saying you don't see them in the daytime like that, but you're more prone to in the evening. Yeah. Um, they're just naturally, walking down gravel roads, you know, anything like that.
1: No. Naturally, a nocturnal animal, right? Naturally, you're gonna they're gonna be more willing to participate, you mm-hmm. know, at nights. How I'd look at mm-hmm. it. Um, the other thing I had on here was set up close. You know, do you ever? I mean, do you notice that? Well, I guess at night it's probably difficult, but in the daytime, when I'm saying like I think I know where some coyotes might be, I feel like the closer I get to those to where they are, if I can get in there without busting them, my chances of being successful will go up and up and up exponentially. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do you try to set up close or ever? I guess at night they might cover bigger distances, so.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I'll go in and if I'm if I'm setting up on a stand, uh, you know, and I play a howl or whatever and and locate them and they answer back and i don't hear anything close to me Mm -hmm. um then yeah a lot of times i'll just go ahead and instead of going into further into a sequence i'll just grab the stuff and start you know trying to close some of the distance you know if especially if it's greater than four or five hundred yards i'll try to close some of that distance and then start calling again
1: you know i guess and there this is a very like coyote hunting is something that you kind of got to live and learn a little bit because you could go so many directions with it, especially now that there's the nighttime season. Because I was sitting here thinking about um, how it's a calories game for a coyote. You know, if they're coming in, they're coming in to try to gain calories. So they have to not <coughs> use more calories and they're going to gain coming in otherwise. So a coyote's not going to cover a huge distance to get a rabbit if it's going to cost them more, you know, more energy. And they're risking injury when they run across those fields when they travel. So it's a, it's a risk-reward and kind of a um a benefit you know the cost out like you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. the, the coyote is less likely to come in if you're trying to make them come far for a meal because it's just not as worth it to them it's not worth the risk but you're running a lot more vocals at night so it's not the same thing because it's not a calorie the, co- the coyote's not coming in like okay, I'm going here for a specific purpose. I'm going to go get myself 45 calories of rabbit. Mm-hmm. They're coming in there to socialize or to in right. some way, shape, or so. Maybe it's different. Maybe you can get them to come a little further at night.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, and I, I've listened to a lot of hunting podcasts myself, watched a lot of videos and, and, you know, informational videos and stuff when I when I really started getting into it um, a couple of years ago. And, you know, I think it's it's those coyotes have different senses that you're trying to trigger anytime you're making a stand. You know, you, and it, it's kind of like humans. You, you play the distress, the prey distress to try to hit that hunger, mm-hmm. you know, that hunger sense I to try to trigger them on that. If that doesn't work, um, you know, you have, uh, territorial senses. If you can get in there close enough and or make it sound like house. another, right. Yeah. Group howls and stuff like that to <clears> make them think that, you know, another coyote is as encroached upon their yeah. territory. So you're, you're. You know that's another trigger that you may try to get them on, and then um, you know, breeding depending on breeding. the time of the year, boy, well, yeah, breeding as well. You know, you're obviously hitting that sense that this time of year to too. Pair it up. Yeah, like yeah. right now, right Jan- yeah.
1: January, February is breeding sounds. Yep, and those fighting and growling sounds that you're talking because I mean that's what you're trying to do, right? You're, it's just like deer. I mean, when you're out yeah. there and the rut's going on, you might rattle some antlers together, make it sound like two coyotes or two deer fighting well, that's a mating sound. So the, I think the barks and growls and stuff work great during mating season, too. So. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. so so you got the, the food you try to play to. You've kind of got the uh, territorial that you try to play to. You've got the mating and the breeding. And,
2: mm-hmm. and, and then also those fights, you know, if you think about it when you were, think about when you were in like middle school or high school, you yeah. know, if there was a fight broke broke out on the playground, oh, and the gym, everybody <laughs> yeah. came to watch that yeah, fight. I, I mean, you know, everybody wanted to see it, the yeah. curiosity. So mm-hmm. with those fight sounds, you know, you're kind of playing on that, the curiosity of it. And then yeah. um, and I was going to say, depending on the time of the year, too, the pup distress sounds. Right. I mean, pup distress will work this time of year great it's because it's favorite. that instinct. Favorite. I still play it almost every stand just about. I'll throw in some kind of pup distress in there. But you're playing on that, you know, that kind of... Uh, uh caretaker instinct i guess if you will that they have uh
1: when i go on a stab pub distress or a coyote distress either one is the most effective call i've ever ran. you know what i mean it's like the single most effective and you know generally like lee if you go on a coyote hunt you're gonna sit there confidently for 10 minutes and then after 10 minutes your confidence is gonna start dropping and at about the 20 minute mark or so you might say all right it's about time to back up right Is that how it goes for you, Rufus? Yeah. Like you feel really confident and then it slowly just starts to drop off. Well, if I end a stand on pup distress or a coyote distress, um, I have the same confidence at whatever minute mark that is. So if I start playing pup distress at 25 minute mark, my confidence level shoots back up to exactly where I started. You know what I mean? It's like I have full confidence and then it lowers as the stand goes on. And as soon as I switch to the coyote distress sounds, I'm on full alert and I'm expecting the coyote to show up again. And then that same, it gradually dropped off, you know, yeah. and then I call it quits. But, then
0: then you go to a different spot. Or... Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I, yeah. I, I generally think that when you switch over and you start running the coyote distress mm-hmm. at the end of a stand like Rufus was talking about, that you're essentially doubling down on that stand. It's like a whole new stand in itself because a coyote might not have come to anything else, but all of a sudden they might be willing to come to that. So it's like you're calling the air, and, and they'll be bold when they come into that too. I mean, they will hard charge, you'll get groups, three or four <clears have> come <throat> barreling over the hill, and I'm like, well, I know you three or four coyotes heard every other call I did, and you never showed yourself or had any interest. But now you're coming in here running as hard as you possibly can for this one, you yeah. know. So that's one that I keep on a preset. You know, it's always there and ready. Yeah. And what kind of call do you use, Rufus? I've got a Fox Pro X24. So that's what we we have also. It's a Fox yeah. Pro X24, and it has that neat feature. It's called a Fox Bang. Where it senses your gunshot. Right. And it has a sensitivity adjustment. If you have a Fox Pro call, I suggest you look at that because you can accidentally set it down. Oh yeah. Or like hit your like set the remote down too hard and it'll start screaming it. And then you're like, ah, because you just scream pup distress for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. But it automatically kicks over to the pup distress or coyote distress, whatever you set it to, when a gunshot goes off. And that's a really good tactic Mm -hmm. because a lot of times you'll have multiple coyotes come in and you might only see one of them or you might see both of them and you might get a shot at one well that second one is heading out or it's sitting on the edge of the woods wondering what the heck just happened right because it never showed itself in the field well when you run that distress sound after a shot it triggers that second coyote to either show itself or to stop you know if it's running away and it hears that it it will stop so it gets you follow-up shots it gets you second shots it's probably it's like the swiss army knife of kind of you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. you can kind of use it as a latch last ditch effort you can use it to, to get a second opportunity i mean it is just a great great sound that wasn't really something that i was going to it was that all came from setting up close didn't it yeah it all came from setting up close
0: yeah well thanks so. so new moon or full
2: moon i like a dark moon that's uh, what I when i'm night hunting the darker the better for me yeah. i i i seem like I haven't had the best success in full moon, not that you can't. I mean, people kill them all the time, but I prefer the
0: darker the moon. Yeah, that seems like it would increase your silhouette if it's really harvest moon. Do you you think
1: that there is a nighttime factor that is, like, if we took wind and concealment in the setup, a factor, an external factor that you can't control. So that could be the moon, that could be weather, that could be the weather of the past week, you know? Do you think that any one of those things is the most important, like,
2: no, I, I mean, I don't think anyone in of itself Got is. Because, um, you know, sometimes you,
1: know. you ever try to talk yourself into going to do something that you, you really want to do? It's like mm-hmm. I, I have something I want to go do, but I still have to get myself like, right. you know, talked into yeah. it. Well, sometimes I do that with coyote hunting because I'll justify it. I'll be like well, you know, we just had really bad weather for three days, and they probably didn't move much, so today, you know, mm-hmm. first day without 50-mile-an-hour winds, they might be more likely to be out. Yeah. So I try, I like, find myself talking myself into things all the time with, like, positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that they're, you know, it's just me talking myself into <laughs> yeah. stuff, probably.
2: Well, I, I I went, actually went last night myself. Um, long story, and I won't go into it, but uh, just because I knew that you know, we're supposed to get this front rain today mm-hmm. and the wind and the cold front and all that. And last night was pretty, the winds had died down. And it was a pretty calm night. So mm-hmm. I went yesterday evening close to the house. I've got a place that I can hunt very close to my house. And uh, a shot. yeah, I was gonna go make a couple stands and I ended up making about a half a stand and called uh, all the cows come in to check out what oh, the- uh, Yeah, on the distress. And uh, so anyway, I, it, it lasted about a half a stand and mm-hmm. I ended up, uh, I ended up going back to the house. I didn't do Those any good. But,
1: cattle are curious. They'll, yeah. they'll come straight they, up to it. They cattle.
2: come right into rabbit distress. I mean, they came one hundred and fifty, two hundred yards, yeah. the all the way group. across from one side of the field in the tree line, yeah. all the way over to the other side of the field where I was at. And, and I had set up there because I'd heard a, a group, yeah,
1: uh,
2: group howl, um, oh, okay, and, and yipping and yapping about four or five hundred yards from me down in a holler. And
1: so that's the, but, so. I think that hunting where the coyotes are. Now, you knew the coyotes were there because you heard them, right? Yes. Something I think is, like, not enough people still (laughs) practice is, like, the old-fashioned scouting techniques um, where you find tracks or you find sky you know most people mm-hmm. want to visibly mm-hmm. see a coyote in the field to to be like or get them on trail camera or something but if you're walking around out there maybe you're doing a, it's my phone oh, it's huh. india calling me oh <laughs> lovely and, yeah i'm not sure i'm going to take that yeah i, I get
0: them from jamaica like, i was like i know no one in jamaica <laughs> well, that, i think
1: boink. india is the spam capital of the world mm-hmm. um t- uh, like as far as uh um scammers mm. calling you trying to rip you. I mean, so no thank you uh, i don't know anybody in india <laughs> personally but i mean just walking around and finding you know piles of coyote scat a lot of times they frequent in the same area you'll know what's coyote scat because it looks like your dogs but it's got a bunch of hair in it right <laughs> yeah you know, i mean that's pretty yeah. much what it is right yeah and um or seeing the tracks you know coyote track looks very similar to a 30 40 pound dog track i mean but if you know that there aren't dogs out there the, so being hunting where coyotes is is probably the most important part of being successful. Luckily, coyotes are pretty much everywhere. You yeah. know, I yeah. mean I can't I mean there's probably a coyote sitting within five hundred yards of us right now.
0: So the cattle just come out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, I was playing rabbit distress
2: and um, it's they a... they didn't pay much attention to the howl, you know, kinda of perked up mm-hmm. a little bit to the two sets of howls I did, but I played the rabbit distress, and it came within 10 feet of the call. Walked,
1: like I said, at least
2: 125, <laughs> 150 yards to within 10 foot of the call, and they lined up the way I was expecting the cows to come that I had heard. Mm-hmm. If they would have come, the cattle all lined up there, and I, I would have had absolutely no shot had the cows come in. So I, I turned it off like I had done two hails and about four minutes into, which it was about time I was going to stop the, the rabbit distress anyway. And after that, I was like, well, I don't have a shot if anything come in for the cattle. So mm-hmm. I just let it go quiet and i sat there about 20 minutes in the quiet just because in case something was coming in i didn't want to immediately shut it off and then start out and mm-hmm. spook something so i sat there about 20 minutes and nothing came in i didn't expect it to at that point anyway and
0: so i eased on out yeah that's there that's a good call. note if it goes moo you probably shouldn't, shouldn't yeah. shoot it.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> those cattle didn't know rufus was on their team you know? yeah. I mean, they were they were playing blocker for the coyote, Well, i mean right. i could
0: understand but if they heard a coyote you know, sound, that, that, you know,
1: they would perk up because, you know, especially if they have young, you know. Yeah. There's usually a cow that I notice. They all will come, but there's usually that one that just gets a little closer to the call, once put the nose on it. I don't know. (laughs) What were you saying, (laughs) Ray? I was going to say, and and I have noticed many times, especially
2: at that thermal at night, it's deer. You start (laughs) playing. They can be bedded down, um, you know, laying down, bedded down, grazing, whatever, be content, and you start playing... Some of those howls and they start you know they, they play the first howl and they really perk up and start looking and mm-hmm. they'll stand up and then you get into another maybe another howl sequence or or fight or something like that or even the rabbit distress and mm-hmm. they usually won't hang around too much they may not completely leave the field but they may get up if they're 150 200 mm-hmm. yards from you and go you know five six seven hundred yards before they bed back down or stop but mm-hmm. yeah they they usually get out of there pretty
1: pretty quick what other animals have you seen come into the call because like i remember you were talking was, about setting up against fence lines i remember yeah. one time we put that call not five feet from our feet right nighttime set no cover fence in the field we just put the call out and so close to us it's closest we probably ever put it out yeah and we called in a skunk that night and that <laughs> skunk came right to the call you know what i mean so it's just like you see some weird stuff yeah yeah
2: um
1: that june that mid-May to late June season, yeah.
2: I, play, uh-huh. uh, I play Fond Distress a lot. Dose. And two different times last year, I had to stop the Fond Distress call because I had does come in. One of them, she was literally three to four foot and was pouncing, yeah. stomping the ground, and I was afraid she was going to destroy my call, yeah. so I had to shut it off. But but I've had several does come out and look and come to that area, but two of them I've had come in and just jumping and bucking and running in circles around that call and snorting and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. They know it's not their fault. I mean, Mm -hmm. they must just
1: be like that instinct. Yeah, I think it's like we played on. It's that
2: that protective or motherly instinct, if Mm -hmm. you will, kind of that coyotes have, you know, that, that, um, yeah. Even though it may not be theirs, they just can't help. It's it's just wired. That's the way they are. It's wired into them by nature. It's and cool to see. So yeah. It it's very. It was very neat to see that. Uh, raccoons. Uh. I don't. I don't know that I've actually called any raccoons in. Mm-hmm. I've called numerous owls in at wow. night. Oh, owls. I've yeah. had numerous. That owls would be cool. Come in and swoop mm-hmm. down. We had one a few weeks ago on a set, and uh, that owl. Probably came six times and swooped down, not not close enough to grab the call, but swooped down within like great six horns or eight or feet. Barred? I I don't think it was a great horn. It wasn't wasn't big enough. I couldn't really tell in the thermal what it was. Yeah, but, but uh, thermals. Um, and, yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. But you could tell it was definitely an owl. And then in
1: the daytime, I've called in a lot of hawks. And
2: uh, crows wow. that will come to the rabbit distress and you know,
1: stuff, and but the the owls. That's the weird. I was sitting there thinking that skunk's probably the weirdest experience, but no, it was an owl. <laughs> was the weirdest experience I ever had. Nighttime coyote hunting because I was out there with a buddy of mine and we were using an infrared um, night vision scope. So that, like I said, puts off a beam and the eyes reflect right. Mm-hmm. So it's still so you still see the eyes reflecting in infrared. And we had a set of eyes coming across the field at us, like running towards the call. I was like, I'll get ready. You know, we, we kind of hunkered down and we were getting ready and we're like, I can't tell what it is. And it was an owl that was running across the ground. And really? so it, it wasn't flying, but I mean, that thing ran across the field and got within 20 yards of us. But you know how their legs look like <clears throat> little human legs mm-hmm. or something? This owl was just running towards the call and it's two eyes were bouncing across the ground. It looked like a coyote or fox or something, but it, sure enough, an owl. So that was mm-hmm. an odd one, but yeah.
2: yeah. I had one, uh, me and a, uh, a good friend of mine and I were hunting one night and had a um, kept hearing this noise off in the distance and thought, what? What in the world is that? Well, it ended up, a few minutes later, it kept getting closer and closer and came up, and it was a crow. Mm. Mind you, this was at night. There was a crow on the ground. Don't know whatever caused it to be out at night or on the ground or whatever. But there was an owl perched in a tree on the other mm. side of the field. He was out in the middle of the field, and as long as that crow was still... That owl had no clue where it was at. Well, every now and then that crow would take flight trying to fly low to the ground, I guess, to get out of there. And I've actually got it on video. Mm-hmm. Uh, the owl swoops down and grabs mm-hmm. the crow, like slams into the crow and he, the crow starts you know, calling mm-hmm. and uh, fell to the ground. And then the owl would fly on off and perch in a tree and it'd sit there for a while. And the crow would sit there still and nothing. <laughs> and then every time it would try to take off, I guess that that radar sense in the owl could mm-hmm. pinpoint it when it was flying, and yeah. it, it came down and hit it two or three times. I'm sure it probably eventually, yeah. you know, eventually killed it. I'm sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, are that,
2: that yeah, was well, pretty they, neat. They seeing crows. that crow out at night, you know,
0: uh, that like would that, be. So. Right, that's a I've right. seen crows gang up on a great horn before. Oh, Yeah, the, at, out in central Kentucky, WMA, huh. years ago. Wow. There was about five crows. I was like, and then it just sat in a, up in a tall cedar tree, and you could just see it you know the little bat yeah. like, you know the ears yeah. i was like god i, I can't believe that bigger crow but there was they were just ganging it and yeah. you know they, they they hate each other
1: yeah um the only other thing i had as far as my little notes is i mean so far i've said uh um you know what what uh, gear to use uh kind of how to conceal yourself silhouettes probably the most important thing there mm-hmm. hide your movement um set up close i think that's that's helpful um the wind is by far the most important thing you and i yeah. both agree on that i one. agree hunt mm-hmm. where the coyotes are that seems like a common sense thing but and coyotes can be anywhere so just you know it's nice to have a little confirmation you know trail yeah. cameras visibly seeing with your eyes find tracks find scat you know find a carcass that's been half devoured by coyotes those type of things and then the last thing i had was don't overlook the small spots mm-hmm. um <clears throat> one of the best coyote hunters that i know is a is a local guy And you can be in the car with him you can be driving down the road passing fields and there could be a a little ditch in the middle of a field with some grass, some tall grass in it, maybe a down tree or two, and he would look over that and be like, oh, I bet you there's a coyote there. You know, and it's just a little bitty 30-yard mm. drainage area with some way yeah. downs and stuff, and it's those little spots right there. And I'm thinking of a den I know of here in Franklin County, and it's literally just a push pile. There's not a standing section of woods within 150 yards of it. It's just trees that have been pushed down. That's where the coyotes are. They are in a den in that push pile. Yeah. And I can get up there on that hill, and I can set up, and I will call, and a coyote will come out of that push-down pile of trees. And they won't come from the woods or anything, but that's daytime coyote. and mm-hmm. night, they're probably out and about. But just little bitty spots. You know, you don't need a yeah. big block of 500 acres of woods. If you've got a finger or a tree line or a ditch or a drainage mm-hmm. area, you might have a coyote there.
2: So. Yeah, I actually killed opening weekend of the night coyote season this year. Yeah. I actually uh, actually killed one from my not on my back porch but basically my legs were up against my back porch yeah. i live out in the country there in clark county you got two acres yeah. and actually called two in to the backyard. right behind the house yep I've right to them. the backyard shot one and and could have killed yeah. the other but i didn't have a i didn't have a good back i had a shot at the other yeah. close enough uh, but i didn't have a good backdrop for it yeah. so i didn't i didn't take the shot but,
1: responsible but, uh, there yeah. i've but, seen them in my neighborhood Louisville before I mean one day I was driving through my neighborhood it was probably this time of year and I mean in the middle of Louisville I, I don't live out on the I wish I lived out on the sub, you know like out towards the parklands or something but i live I'm surrounded by Louisville mm-hmm. and I was driving through the neighborhood and sure enough there's a coyote in this person's front yard so what do I do start following this coyote through Mm -hmm. the neighborhood with my vehicle Mm -hmm. and it it eventually started trying to juke me i know i got a law enforcement officer here but Mm -hmm. i mean i was putting in reverse and taking a left and a hard right you know and i was wanting to see where the heck this coyote was going to go in my neighborhood ended up following it to a a city park down the road and this coyote was running loops around this park and there was a a woman in the park and uh she she said is that your dog i was like no ma'am that's that's a wild animal you know, I told her it was a coyote, but some people just can't believe mm-hmm. it. But they're in the suburbs. I've heard them here in oh, Frankfurt. Yeah. You know, I've
0: heard them at night, you know, down by the river.
1: There's one in yeah. this field back here right now. Yeah. Like this field in between us and the airport with all that tall mm-hmm. grass and brush, there's coyotes right there, right now. Mm-hmm. I would almost guarantee it. Um, another and another we qu- have
0: a lot of mice and stuff in that field, too. Sure. There's a yeah, lot you know, of, all all of equipment, food. equipment with,
2: you know, rabbits hiding and all that equipment mm-hmm. we got sitting yeah, back there. At 6 a.m. Lumber and...
1: There's so many rabbits up here. Uh At one time, when we had the rabbit hemorrhagic disease that became a hot topic like two or three years ago, they asked, they needed B-roll of a rabbit. They needed like rabbit footage. I was like, well, this is the easiest assignment I've ever been given. I came to work an hour early and I probably shot 30 minutes of rabbit <laughs> fish, you know, yeah. Just because they're everywhere. But um, one other specific question that we had come in from Instagram, and I'm gonna say who asked these questions here in a bit, but um, they just wanted advice for someone getting into nighttime cavity hunting. So I'm gonna let you take the reins on that one. Um, what would you say to someone new? What were the mistakes you made on the front? And what'd you learn? I would say
2: probably a big one um, is noise. noise.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I would ride like a side-by-side. I have some, I'm blessed that I have some pretty good ground to coyote hunt. Some of them are large, pretty large farms. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I would take my side-by-side unloaded and I would ride from stand to stand. Now I don't ride up and get off the side-by-side and walk five feet and set up. You know, I would ride the side to side somewhere, park it, walk 100, 150 yards from the side to side and then set up. Mm-hmm. But Doing that versus when I've strictly walked, mm-hmm. I've had better success um, walking.
1: So you think <clears> it's just the vehicle noise? I,
2: I think the vehicle noise, um, doing that. Now, that one particular farm that, that that's occurred on, that farmer does not, the, he doesn't use a side-by-side on there. He drives a truck or a tractor. So, you know, it may be different if they're on a farm where people are used to side-by-sides driving through there all the time at night, you know, mm-hmm. checking cattle or something like that. That could obviously, but I think it was just the, uh, being in there and having that that vehicle noise that side side noise mm-hmm. in there um, so I would be cautious of that the wind again I think the wind is the biggest thing and and I prefer a crosswind yeah. if at all possible That's a good I, I've made and I think I've made sir I made some mistakes there of hunting you know with the wind to my back thinking well they, I know the coyotes are going to come from in front of me they're mm-hmm. they're not going to come from behind me no way and so I'm good with this wind mm-hmm. And then I've had, when I first started, I had a few occasions where you'd have something, you'd, you'd start hearing a coyote booger bark behind you where it had circled, you know, was very leery and it circled around and was trying to come in downwind. Yeah. Um, so I prefer, if at all possible, I prefer a crosswind. Um, wind that at. you can shoot.
1: Yeah. Like you want to be able to shoot your wind, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I also think that a coyote is more likely to come in with a wind that they think they can get if that makes sense at all like i think if a coyote's been called before and they're they're educated if they if they don't have an opportunity to get downwind they just might not mess with it at all you know so you might be talking to coyotes but you might not get any interaction but if you hunt with that crosswind like you're talking about coyotes like okay i can go smell what this is safely then you give yourself a better chance for a coyote to mm-hmm. actually make a move on and come in yeah and then you just have to get it before it smells you right yeah so I, I would agree with that 100 crosswind is uh, And then as far as setups go, um, at nighttime, is there anything in particular? Say this person has daytime coyote hunted before, and they kind of know the wind, and they kind of know things like that. Is there anything that's just kind of nighttime-specific as far as how you use your gear or equipment? But One thing that was the most struggling or hardest for me when I tried nighttime coyote hunting was knowing what was around me, like uh, scanning, you know, because yeah. I didn't have— a. Some people have the fancy flip down helmets, and some people use a monocular, a scanner. I was, you know, dirt poor, so I didn't, I was out there, like I said, using my ears to try to hear. But being able to scan or know what's around you seems like the biggest difference to me in daytime and nighttime. Because in daytime, you just look around with your eyes. At nighttime, that becomes much more difficult. So, how do you like prioritize your time between scanning or calling or looking? What are you doing when you're out there, really?
2: So usually once I, you know, w- when I get out there, I'll scan an area before, especially if it's like a field or whatever, I'm going to scan, scan that area before I actually set up um, to make sure nothing's out there. Then I'll set my tripod up, set my gun on my tripod. Uh, usually I'll get my scope adjusted because, you know, different with that thermal, different. Different stands, a lot of times I have to adjust that contrast and brightness yeah. um, depending on, you know, is it wide open? Does it have a, a wooded backdrop? Is it a lot darker and yeah. so forth? So I'll get that all adjusted and then once I do that, um, I'll scan again. I'll go out and set the call up and then come back. And then once I start my sequence, um, this year is I, I have a scanner this year, like a monocular handheld scanner, but the last two or th- the last couple years that I've hunted, uh, night hunted before that, I use the rifle for scanning on the tripod and that just got old. what well, you know hard. walking in a, especially if you're hunting by yourself walking in a circle yeah. um, and then by the end of the night your neck and back are kind of stiff where you've had
1: your you know you've had your shoulder or had your neck down on the mm-hmm. on the stock the whole time so I you know you were missing coyotes too when you did that like that was my biggest thing when I was scanning with a scope when I was using an infrared yeah. scope I know I was overlooking coyotes because you're seeing such a small window, you know. Yeah. You're seeing 5% of the landscape at time. Plus, you're moving quite a bit more, yeah. um,
2: you know, when you're walking. Like like I said, having to walk around that, uh, walk in circles around that tripod, scanning yep. that way. Um, you're definitely causing more movement. And So, uh, if
1: you can get a scanner, that's
2: the way to go. It, it is. I mean, you don't have to have a scanner, mm-hmm. but, but it. I think it just... You know, I don't know that it helps you necessarily maybe be that more successful, but yeah. it's a lot more convenient to use. And, and I'd say it probably to some degree it, it will help because I mean, it, at times it cuts down on your movement and stuff. But yeah. it's it's not a necessity by any means to have a, you know. Um,
1: Jameson, our producer here, he nighttime coyote hunts and he um, <coughs> uses the light to mm-hmm. shoot. So he has a regular daytime rifle scope with a, a spotlight attached to the gun, a pressure mm-hmm. pressure switch. But he is the same as me. He doesn't want to turn that light on unless he knows there's a cavity there. So he went out and bought a, a scanner and he got one cheap. I mean, it was 160 bucks. It's one of those that you would pick up somewhere and you'd think that it's not gonna be worth anything. <laughs> but all he's looking for is a spot. Right. You know, He's just looking for a spot. So he doesn't need great detail and that scanner. And that $160 scanner he bought works fine for him because all he's looking for is something. And right. then he can, you know, Get focused on it and use a scope from there. So you don't need a ton of money in a scanner, I would
2: say. No, no, I don't think so. And you know, like you said, that's what with that scanner, that's kind of what you're really you're really looking for is that heat signature out there to find something there. Um when I originally got my thermal my thermal scanner and and built that rifle, it was for hog hunting. We used to go down, me and a couple other guys that I worked with used to go to southern Alabama every year hog hunting. Mm. And uh, so that's why I originally had the thermal. I've had Mm -hmm. one for a few years. Mm -hmm. And uh, two of us, there was three of us that went, two of us had thermal and one had night vision. Mm -hmm. You know, he would have a difficult time if we went out in the field. He would have a difficult time spotting stuff. If he was trying to scan, you know, we would be, me and the other other guy would be, you know, it just picked up in that thermal immediately. We're like, well, there's something out there. But he could then use that night vision and he could see so much more detail than we could. Mm -hmm. You know, he could tell, um, you know, we may see something off a little bit in the distance and be like, well, I'm not sure if that's a, because it wouldn't be walking. It'd be sitting there. Well, I don't know. That might be a raccoon or a possum. I can't tell because it's not, you know, it's mm-hmm. just sitting there. Mm-hmm. It's the size of that, but I haven't seen it walk yet or anything. And he could throw that infrared up with the night vision scope and look out there and be like, oh, that's a possum. And you could yeah. see plain as day it was a possum mm-hmm. or a raccoon. So. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: Because at night, with the infrared, you're essentially seeing a black and white image right. of whatever it is, but you're seeing an image of what mm-hmm. it is. When you're using the thermal you're not seeing an image what you're seeing is is heat you're seeing the heat of the so you know um just imagine looking at a i mean it makes sense why the infrared would have a better clarity as far as being able to determine what you're looking at because you're actually seeing the animal whereas with the thermal you're just seeing the heat that it puts off now the thermals are cool yeah The, the first time i ever messed with one i was up at camp perry ohio Um, at the national matches. So they have like the the big military national matches and Springfield was there with their booth and they had like a $25,000 thermal scope. This is back in 2007 or 2008. But... You could take that thing and I could see people's footprints, you know, mm-hmm. as they were walking. I could see the heat dissipating mm-hmm. from where their feet had Just if somebody opened a door and grabbed a doorknob, mm-hmm. you could see their, their handprint slowly fade mm-hmm. off. I could pick out like a squirrel on a tree, like just little broken sections mm-hmm. in the leaves. I could tell there's a squirrel on that tree from 200 yards away. I would never know. You know, so it was yeah. really, really cool to me. And I, I've not gotten the Coyote on with one, but it seems like it would be really neat. But you're saying there's some challenges, too, with
2: the thermal. Well, I, I think it depends on—there are, but a lot of that depends on distance. And also, you know, those thermals are like anything else. You have, uh, you know, you have different—like a 384. There's like a 256 as far mm-hmm. as what they call the processor. like a 256, then there's a 384, a 640— um, I think a 1024 that Pulsar I believe is what it is came out with and then there's a 1280
1: and those and are probably like gigabytes you gotta take that way yeah it's my wife oh can you, you wanna step outside for it yeah uh, he got a phone call huh. he, uh, he has a heart right. out today oh. so that's uh, his wife he has something he has to go personalize family but me and gotcha. you are gonna continue yeah. while Lee takes but I gotcha. I, he had told me that he has a heart out today and that family thing he has to take care of so yeah. that's why he had to take that gotcha. call but, no, uh, that's fine. Uh, but the <laughs> thermals <laughs> seem interesting to me um, another question that we got here from Instagram, and I will tell us who, who asked all these questions in a minute, was how much does coyote hunting affect the coyote population? Long term, short term, is it worth it? What do you think?
2: I don't know. That, I mean, that's obviously more a biologist or, or biology question. I mean, it has to, you look at as many coyotes that are killed every year, daytime and nighttime, mm-hmm. people that target them and then other people that are out deer hunting and they come through or whatever, mm-hmm. or farmers that are out feeding and just happen to, you know, see the coyotes and shoot them, mm-hmm. um, different things like that. I mean, it has to help control, in my personal opinion. Um, again, I'm not a biologist. For the short things, term. But,
1: it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Like in the short term, if yeah. you go out and you get two coyotes, well, there are two less coyotes. Right. And if you
2: killed a female, or yeah. those were both female, then you've killed, you know, you've lessened it by two plus whatever they would have had over their lifetime. And yeah.
1: The, uh, you know, I thought that was an interesting question. That's one of my favorite coyote hunting questions, though. Yeah. Is uh, how much does hunting actually affect the population? Because I don't know if you've ever seen, but there are reports out there there's some studies that show that coyote hunting actually increases the coyote population have you ever heard that side of the argument or anything I, it's kind I of that.
2: yeah yeah kind of a of little ant. bit of it that it causes them to to you know breed more have more pups more more pups per litter and yeah. different things like and that to but, expand yeah.
1: to, to distribute more but yeah. at this point the coyotes are in every city of every state in the continental United States. So where else are they gonna expand? But my thing is I don't think that that theory, that the antis kind of use of coyote hunting increases the coyote population because it causes more breeding. I don't think that that holds a whole lot of water with me at least because it doesn't take into consideration the carrying capacity of a landscape. you know, There is a saturation point. How many coyotes can this much food, water, shelter support? And so that's how many coyotes can be on the landscape. And right. it, the number might go above that, but if it does, it's gonna naturally drop back yes. down. So that is saturation, right? And to me, if you don't coyote hunt, you allow coyotes to be a saturation. They're gonna hit that equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that hunting could create opportunity over that. So to me, there's a, there's a hard cap on a landscape as to how many of a certain species it can s- support. Mm-hmm. And right. so that just throws their argument of, it increases the population out the window because you're not creating more food, water, shelter, habitat mm-hmm. by hunting. You know. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's still the same thing. But tell me what you think about this, Rufus. An advantage of coyote hunting that I see is that typically the coyote that you're most likely, if you've got a landscape and there's 10 coyotes out there, the one that you're most likely to get just by you know flip the coin or something is the most aggressive one, or is the boldest one, or is the one who is, you know, the, the boldest. I mean, that's what it is. So if you've got a farmer who's got cattle and they have a problem with a coyote getting in their cattle, chances are it's the boldest coyote that's in there doing that. And so I do think you can be effective in eliminating certain coyotes, problem coyotes. You know does that make yeah,
2: sense at all? it does it does i had a farmer one time uh not tell me but a good friend of mine had uh, asked to hunt on a piece of property and um, uh, actually he had permission i believe he had permission to hunt on it but he had asked about coyote hunting mm-hmm. and the farmer the farmer actually told him and i would never heard this before um, and i don't know that there's any truth to it whatsoever but the farmer had actually told him didn't want him to kill any of the coyotes because the ones that were there didn't bother anything didn't bother the cattle or anything and if he said if you kill those another group might move in that's more aggressive and may start bothering the cattle so i don't
1: think that's a bad line
2: of yeah i don't don't know if like i said i don't know if there's any truth to that or not but uh, uh, there are people that do you know that do kind of have that mentality or believe that um,
1: i just know this coyote. i have a coyote right here this coyote I got a call, Um, guy had had a coyote in the barn with his cattle um, during calving season. That killed this one in March. Um, and so uh, this this coyote was that coyote. Like, can confirm that the coyote that came in when I went out there and hunted was the coyote that he had seen. And it actually came from the barn when we when we called. Um, wow. So that was easy. Mm-hmm. But another one, I had a farmer, another cattle farmer, and he had actually, his, his, his uh, farmhand had seen two coyotes working in tandem to try to separate cal- calves from cattle. Mm-hmm. So they, one coyote would be off to the side, the mm-hmm. other one would try to break them away, and then the second coyote would be there. And when I went out there and I called that property, I called a coyote in and I killed it, and when I went up and, and looked at it, its back right leg was, was broken in half. Um, <laughs> so to mm-hmm. me, I'm thinking that injury probably came from harassing those cattle. You know, because what else is just going to snap a coyote's leg bone in half that cleanly? You know, it wasn't caught in a fence and twisted up mm-hmm. or anything. It was just a snap. So to me, that's probably a cow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking the, so I, I do think that you can get the more aggressive coyotes out of there. Yeah. If you, so that would be the advantage. But as far as long-term controlling a population, I don't think that coyote hunting touches it because I just yeah. think they're so um, adaptive. You mm-hmm. know, they literally went from being just in the Southwest U.S. to now they live in. South Florida. They mm-hmm. live in North New York. You know, they live in Washington. They live in California. Um, I think they're so adaptive, and that they can breed so well, and live so well, and survive so well that I think that their numbers are always going to rebound yeah. over over time.
2: Yeah. you know what i mean and and like you said you know you're finding them in all kinds of urban areas mm-hmm. you know they're they're inside cities um you know running <clears> i know <throat> in winchester there's an old railroad bed where uh, it used to be it was a railroad when i was a kid and the bed's still there but they took the tracks up years ago mm-hmm. but they use that it's between some neighborhoods and mm-hmm. they use that as a corridor to travel they can travel from one end of winchester pretty mm-hmm. much to the other using that yeah. old railroad bed you can just look at old county
1: I mean,
0: Oldham County has been all over the news lately. Is that the old L&E railroad bed, Lexington and Eastern one? I'm not sure if that was... There's an L&E Junction road out there. I okay, there was yeah. A, there was a yeah, public dove line a, out there. Yeah, that was there one of the is an L&E ever. Junction.
2: Yeah. This one ran right by the cemetery there in Winchester, um, run up on the upper side of that cemetery. But I used to, when I worked the field and work Clark, I used to get a lot of calls of coyotes um, in those subdivisions and, and crossing the main bypass there by the Kroger's and 84 mm-hmm. Lumber and all that stuff. Used to get numerous calls of people seeing coyotes, even during the daytime, crossing that busy road. Is that a roadway. call
1: that conservation officers get a lot? Hey, I saw a coyote.
2: It is it's from well, it depends on where it's at. You know, yeah. uh, out in the country, usually not, unless it's somebody that maybe moved in from you know the some city. very large, you know, <laughs> large cities. We somewhere. got a Los uh, Angeles, but LA yeah. has a ton of coyotes. LA, I'm yeah.
0: Downtown LA. So, so
2: but uh, you know, but yeah, as far as seeing them inside the city limits, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't uh, that do. Yeah. It, it's a pretty common call for one of our officers to get a call that, hey, I saw a coyote in town and it was, you know, doing this or whatever. And then you just kind of explain and educate them that, you know, yeah, they're here and, you know, ask, was it, you know, was it aggressive? Was it bothering you? Was it bothering a pet? What was it doing? You know, mm-hmm. and it was just moving through. I mean, you know, at that point, there's nothing that we
1: exactly.
2: can or are going to do about that because it's not, you know. That's in city uh,
1: limits. I mean, yeah. Like, but like Oldham County, that's what I was. I think I've seen multiple issues of coyotes in oldham county this year in Mm. neighborhoods uh, with small dogs and pets and stuff like that like i feel like that's been a common thing that's been on the news so i mean if you have a this time of year maybe that is a good like little psa Mm. this time of year it's breeding season this is when they just like the deer do during the rut. you start seeing them running crazy and being Mm. more aggressive and you'll see a video of one that put his head through a post office you know (laughs) window because he saw his reflection coyotes Mm. get a little bit crazy the same way like not as stupid crazy like you don't see coyotes just running wild across the interstate mm-hmm. at odd yeah. times of the day but they do get more bold and they do this time of year they're naturally more hungry breeding season's coming up so small pets and stuff right mm-hmm. it's at one time of year that if you have coyotes near your house this is the most important time of year to be mindful of it and maybe keep your pets indoors at night mm-hmm. Type deal. is that the advice you give people when they do call
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they've got small pet, you know, if 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 they have um, coyotes getting close to their house or something like that, you know, tell them to keep up just just on the safe side, mm-hmm. um, keep up small pets in the house, yeah. um, cats, remove pet food from the porch or, you know, garbage, make sure garbage is in something the cow can't can't get to or something like that. But just kind of some common sense stuff to to, you know, keep in mind.
1: There is one other thing. I know you have a hard out today, Lee. Mm -hmm. We did have three other questions. I'm sorry they were unrelated uh tree dogs turkeys and how to get involved with conservation efforts which is not a bad question the last one is a good question how to get involved i would i would say reach out to the department called the info center 1-800-858-1549 mm-hmm. ask them they can put you in touch with somebody but lee there's one more main topic i wanted to get to today but do you have anything you wanted to ask about the topic of coyote hunting before no. we switch gears no that's fine go ahead coyote huns, go. Yeah, well, yeah. the other thing i wanted to talk about rufus is something that i've had little conversations with you here and there about but it's finally i say finally the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Law Enforcement Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And I say finally, because when I lived in Richmond, I followed Richmond Police Department. Mm -hmm. I live in Louisville, I follow LMPD. I still follow Shelby County Sheriff's Department because I'm from there. I enjoy seeing the law enforcement post, you know. It kind of lets you know what's going on. or or It's just... And if you're an outdoors person, it's also somewhat just entertaining, you know, to to be in the loop on these things and know what's going on. But you guys just started this page a few months ago, right? Yeah. It actually kicked off, I believe, uh, sometime back in the spring.
2: Uh, I can't remember exactly when, but probably around March um, of, of 23. Year? Yeah, of 23. Somewhere around there. It really when,
1: started picking up traction over the fall and winter. I guess when the hunting seasons, the main hunting seasons came about. And you guys started posting some... Uh, cases correct yeah we tried to
2: increase the uh, increase post on it and um, and we've had some pretty good pretty good feedback and it's it's starting to get some more Likes and followers and stuff like that. Essentially,
1: it's being used very similar to how someone who's familiar with the LMPD's page or any mm-hmm. other law enforcement agency's page. I mean, but right here is a you know an example of a case that was working. It gives the details of you know while working a trespassing and spoliation complaint, blah blah blah. And you can kind of see, okay, that this mm-hmm. one a shotgun was seized as we scroll down. This one was one I thought was interesting. This. uh <clears throat> conservation officer, it's a picture of a conservation officer with a K-9, one of the yellow labs, mm-hmm. and then they have this thing on the ground that has shell casings in front of them. Great. And this, the text reads, conservation officer, conservation officer Evan Hughes and K-9 Cosmo were instrumental recently during the investigation of a deer poaching case in western Kentucky. Officer Hughes and K-9 Cosmo were requested to search two different areas where suspected poachers were believed to have fired shots three days to five days prior. Within minutes, Cosmo was able to locate two spent rifle casings at the first location and a single casing at the second location, mm. several charges. So that's pretty amazing. Three mm-hmm. to five days went by, this dog went out there, and, yep, here's your shell casing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that, that's isn't that, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And these canines are fairly new to the agency, too, and I just think that that's a cool use for them, uh, to be able to, to find evidence like that and to help aid them. Because, I mean, I'm sorry, Evan Hughes here, he doesn't looks great conservation officer i'm sure he's not sniffing out those showcases right no for sure it's a tool in the toolbox and it seems like it's getting pretty good use already here
2: yeah they you know those canines are a valuable asset to the agency we we had a canine division several years Mm -hmm. ago and then it kind of faded out and went to the wayside and um, i guess a year or so ago a little more than a year ago we we came back with the uh Started a new canine program and got three currently. Uh, so I and mean, Cosmo,
1: Gambit, and River. River, correct. correct. Mm-hmm. Those yes. are the three. Two females yes. and a male, right? I believe they're... I would have to look. I know. Yeah, I, I
2: do too. It's two um, and one. I might have okay. that. Backwards. Well, then I know it's two female. River's a female, and uh, Cosmos a female. I think so Gambit's I guess Gambit a, may no. be the male. I'm, That's what
1: I heard. But it's a yeah. it's cool that we're putting them to use this way. And what what other ways are some of these dogs being put to use for? Us, other than so, just finding shell casings? And yeah. So the
2: the dogs are certified in narcotics detection, um, tracking and then article searches okay. hmm. so they you know can find human scent on kind of with like the shell casings they would have found the human scent on hmm. those so that was the um,
1: human because i was thinking of gsr like yeah gunshot residue yeah I no thinking.
2: i think the old canines that uh, the old canine program we had hmm. they were certified in uh you know like firearm detection and hmm. gunpowder and stuff like that and also game detection but uh these these dogs are are like I said the main three things that they are is the uh yep yeah, the tracking article search and the uh narcotics. narcotics detection now that's not to say that you know when they're out working that they're not gonna they're gonna smell something different and obviously at that point you know probably going to uh, change in behavior or alert if you know if somebody chucks a gun out that uh you know there's gonna be human scent on it for a period of time as well, and that's what they're
1: and just like all dogs, I mean, my little beagle—if he sniffs a dead deer in the holler, three hundred yards away, he's beeline into that dead deer. I'm yeah. sure they can find game for you too, just naturally being right. a, naturally being a dog. Here's another—I mean, this person, this this case right here was—you know—at least four illegally taken mm-hmm. deer. I mean, mm-hmm. as I scroll down through here, there's a lot of interesting posts that multiple deer and elk mm-hmm. out of out of Bell County I believe that was. Yeah, no, uh, Harlan
2: or Bell one. Or, yeah, it was Harlan. Harlan. Okay.
1: Yeah, as you can scroll down through this Facebook page, there's a lot of interesting. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. some, some of the mundane and some of the some of the normal posts and sure. some educational, but some of my favorite ones are the ones that that talk about cases, mm-hmm. you know, cuz it's interesting to read and and it, and I'm glad this is here because it shows what's being done too. Mm-hmm. Before the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Law Enforcement Facebook page, I feel like you guys unfortunately I don't want to say worked in the dark, but from the public perception, it was harder. Like, there might have you might have had to do an open records request to find out what some mm-hmm. of our guys, and I like promoting it, or a press release mm-hmm. would have had to go out. You know, mm-hmm. it would have had to have been a case mm-hmm. that warranted a press release. But this lets you show the, every day, this is what we're out here doing, every day we're working on this stuff, right? And it's interesting, too, like uh, these cases that, that pop up and the, the seizures and just kind of how people are like, this one right here, this one ticked me off when I read it, okay? yeah. This is a, a picture right Zippy. now. December 7th, 2023, there's three um, deer skulls in the back of a truck and there's three rifles propped up against Tilga. tailgate. And so this one says, <clears throat> great teamwork by the 2nd and 5th law enforcement districts led to four hunters from Pennsylvania being charged with numerous wildlife violations. And essentially this one is mm-hmm. they got a complaint that these guys had come, or that somebody had shot three bucks and only cut the heads off of them and yeah. left. And so I guess our second or fifth of it, district officers who took the complaint got the vehicle and you were the people were heading and called it in the other district was able to stop that vehicle on the road and sure enough they had a, i'm assuming wanton waste laws since all they did was cut the heads off right and yeah. then <clears throat> several and it says they didn't have their harvest logs filled out but there's several things but to, to get something like that is great, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. this is three completely wasted bucks here that these people came across state lines and poached. And sure. to be able to use teamwork to, to you know, put a stop to that because I bet you those three people don't come back and do it again.
2: Yeah, no, I'm sure they won't. And, the- and that's what I think the second district, they had known, um, you know, upon the investigation had found out some information as far as who they were and what they were driving and so forth. And I think they... they um, kind of knew about what time they left and they used like um, you know Apple Maps or Google Maps or whatever and figured out okay if they left here where would they be at this time and it put them in that fifth district area and so they called and they set up some of the fifth district guys went out and like you said, yeah. we're able to locate the vehicle on the interstate. That's and, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So.
1: That's uh, that's pretty cool. That we we're able to do that. Here's your picture from your pulsar. I mean, it is oh, a pulsar, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. I can. It's the blue text. So it doesn't say pulsar. Yeah. See, down.
2: it's got down at the bottom right. There's two batteries. One's gray. Oh, one's yeah. blue. Mm-hmm. So I have oh, I one see. and a half. The the battery on the left side is the internal battery. The one on the right is the uh, a re- replaceable battery. And I have a replacement that I keep with me. So
1: that's cool.
2: I can hunt several hours with.
1: Great hey, chase. Yeah. You got a hard out? Yeah. Well, we're, we're pretty much, I wanted to talk about this. Uh, I thought this was great. The Kentucky Fish and Wildlife law enforcement mm-hmm. page I thought was really good. Yeah, I agree. Lee told me on the front end today that he had a hard out. We've already gone an hour and 20 minutes, Rufus. Mm-hmm. Just real quick. Yeah. Is there anything else on the topic of coyote hunting or anything that you think we should hit on that we might have missed? I'm glad we brought that up.
0: You know, and also... Uh, Remember Zach? I see cold water survival. I remember when Zach in January went and oh, jumped in yeah. Towersville Lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And took pictures. You remember that? He, yeah, he did. He did. Just to show, you know, you can survive oh, if, you. if you have a fall while waterfowl is a waterfowl safety kind okay. of thing. Yeah, one of our camera guys jumped in the river two weeks ago.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> one thing I wanted to add on the coyote—I don't think we touched that back to the very first part when we were talking about the season. Yeah. Um, we failed to mention so that nighttime season with lights and and uh, you know rifles and so forth on on the private mm-hmm. land and all that. Um, that season from it is december 1st through march 31st may 16th through june 30th but it is out anytime there is a firearm season for uh, deer or elk. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, that December night cow, it goes out during the late muzzleload, the nine-day okay. late muzzleloading season, uh, like free youth mm-hmm. weekend. And mm-hmm. again, it goes out free youth weekend. Yes. So those those two sets of dates it would be out statewide. The other ones, people in eastern Kentucky are going to have there's some elk hunts. Uh, Cal, I think cow firearm elk hunts that fall during that, that December time. I no. believe the the barrier overlaps and, with muzzler. Yeah, so that's covered. And yep. Yeah. And I believe the way the reg says it says uh, I believe it just says deer and elk. Deer and elk.
1: Yeah, that makes sense because the bear overlaps. But but yeah,
2: eastern Mm -hmm. Kentucky would have some more, a few more dates that it would be out. um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, that were in the elk zone because there is the elk season. Um, There are some rifle, firearm elk seasons that are in during during December as well. That that wouldn't be in in the rest of the state. So
1: that makes perfect sense. Real quick, thank you to. Everybody who submitted the the questions, Chris Gum, Tanner Thompson, were ones we used. um, Spur to the lock on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we're just doing an overview, basically, we went through the coyote hunting opportunities day and night. We went through some of the tips and tactics day and night that you'd want to consider. And then also kind of just took a look at this law. Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Law Enforcement is the name of the page on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you're a sports person in the state, I suggest you look it up. Because, honestly, there is some good, interesting, and entertaining content that goes to it so yep. rufus i appreciate you coming by lee well, thanks for having take me take care of what you need to take care yeah, of yeah
0: just insurance things thank you <laughs> thank you all mm-hmm.
1: sweet